Everything always comes back to water. Our text this morning is John chapter 4, verses 5 through 42. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes. Take away our tiredness this morning that we might hear your word and that we might do it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was walking through a shopping center up on the coast of Northern California, and there was a water fountain there which was giving a nod to the town's past as a shipping and fishing port. There sat a huge ship propeller. Instead of being in the water propelling a ship across the ocean, it was completely harmless and controlled, sitting on dry land with water pouring over it. When Jesus gives water, it is anything but harmless and controlled as it floods the world with life and transformative power. This morning in the Gospel of John, we'll see wells, water, and women. Wells, water, and women. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 5. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. And it says there in John chapter 4 and verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So it's noon. It's hot. Jesus comes to a well to get some water. Notice it is a historic well here. He comes to Jacob's well. And so we've got to tie this into events that we see in the book of Genesis. Jacob found his woman at a well, and Joseph began his journey as savior of the world by being thrown down a well. Going on to verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So here we see a woman comes to the well at noon. It would have been a dangerous time for a woman to come to a well. Normally they would have come early in the morning in a group of women, but here we've got a woman who comes by herself. During the day, there's all kinds of people, shepherds coming by. They're coming to bring their, their animals to be watered or travelers who don't live in this area. But we see this woman coming at noon by herself to this well. And Jesus speaks to the woman and she's shocked. Because here we've got a Jewish man speaking to a woman, but not only that, speaking to a Samaritan woman. Now you notice here in the text we've got this parenthesis here, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It's important to remember who the Samaritans are. You may remember after the time of Solomon when his son comes on the throne, Rehoboam, that the kingdom splits into two. Ten northern tribes create the kingdom of Israel, or Samaria, and the two southern tribes create the kingdom of Judah. Now the Assyrians come and conquer the northern kingdom about 150 years before the Babylonian exile of the southern kingdom. And it was the practice of the Assyrians. They would take people from one part of their empire and they would move them all the way to the other part of the empire to control them so that they wouldn't rebel. And that's what they did with the northern kingdom. They took all of the great people of the land of the northern kingdom, the influential people, the military personnel, they moved them on the other side of the Assyrian empire and then they moved people from there into Israel. And so what they did is they created a hybrid culture. People were half Jewish, half Gentile. 
And then they created their own religion, and it becomes a heresy according to the Jews. And so there was great animosity between Jews and Samaritans, but Jesus speaks to a woman, speaks to a woman who's a Samaritan, verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. The woman wouldn't be wondering who this is if she knew who Jesus was, and he'd give her living water to drink. Notice how she asks. She doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. Going out of verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, my water gives refreshment and life in an unending way, and you will be transformed into a spring of living water. Now that's important to remember. Because spring of living water is a very specific thing in Hebrew. It's running water. It's fresh water. You see this motif a lot in the book of Exodus where you've got stagnant pools of water. Poisonous water that the people can't drink. And then God turns it into springs of living water. Sometimes water comes flowing forth from rocks. Running water that brings life, that brings cleansing. If you'd come in contact with a dead body in the Old Testament, you needed to be washed with springs of living water because it represented going from death to life. It was resurrection. Going on to verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman asked to receive this magic water. Samaritans were prone to magic. They're very superstitious people. In fact, you may remember Simon the magician is a Samaritan. But Jesus changes the narrative here and tells the woman to call her husband cutting to the quick and revealing his divine insight and showing that she is living in a sinful manner. Now, she's had five husbands. It doesn't say anything about these husbands or the circumstance with us. I suppose it's possible that she'd been widowed five times, but I think it's highly unlikely. It appears that this is a woman who's been married and divorced on five separate occasions, and now she's living in sinful circumstances. Going out of verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The woman, I believe, is trying to change an uncomfortable subject. She now tries to get the the conversation to come back to raw religious views. We worship on Mount Gerizim, So the Samaritans had their own mountain and they had their own temple. They worship there to this day, by the way. But also, there's the mountain in Jerusalem where the Jews worship and she tries to draw a distinction between the two. 
She tries to change the uncomfortable subject, but Jesus says, woman, the hour is coming when the kingdom will break out everywhere. If you lived in the old covenant, you had to come to the temple in Jerusalem for the three pilgrim festivals. The center of religious life and the presence of God was located in the city of Jerusalem. And if you were a Samaritan, you thought it was on Mount Gerizim. But Jesus is saying the kingdom is about to break out everywhere. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. Remember what the temple is. It is the presence of God with the people of God. And when God comes in the flesh, Jesus is the presence of God with the people of God. And you live in the wake of the day of Pentecost where the spirit has been poured out and brings Jesus to us. Jesus lives in our hearts by the power of the spirit and Jesus walks among us and Jesus is present with us by the power of the spirit. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus says salvation comes from the Jews. That's true. But we're not still looking for that. We see dispensationalists that they're looking for a reestablishment of Israel as a kingdom. They're thinking they need to reestablish the temple. Friends, those things have come and gone. Jesus has fulfilled that. But salvation comes from the Jews. Salvation comes through the prophets of Israel. Salvation comes forth through the Old Covenant. The Word of God, the Old Testament, came forth from the Jews. Jesus, as the God-man, comes in flesh as a Jew, and the foundation of the temple is laid by the apostles who were Jews, but now salvation has gone forth to the entire world. Salvation has come and overturns the idea that salvation must be connected to a place And now the temple of God is everywhere. The new Jerusalem, which is the people of God, the church is spread out through this age and all over the world, and we worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, you may notice in the book of John, a lot of times things seem very veiled, mysterious, but here the statement of Jesus is straightforward. And notice this, in Israel at this very same moment, people are wondering, is Jesus the Christ? There's a sense that Messiah is about to break upon the scene. There's a feeling amongst the people and electricity in the air that the kingdom of God is about to arrive, but here in Samaria, doesn't seem to be the case. They're looking vaguely into the future for the coming of Messiah, the one who is the Christ. And she says, when the Messiah comes, he will reveal, he will tell us all things. When Messiah comes, he will show us all things. And Jesus says to her, I am he. I'm he. Going on to verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? The disciples are baffled, 
but don't ask what exactly is going on. The woman runs to the town and says, I think I found the Christ. Now this is amazing. You know, you've got all these strange and incongruous outliers that come and bump up the, against the edge of the kingdom of God, that come in contact with the Messiah. And so often, they're people that you would not expect. Jesus talks about people with great faith, and oftentimes they're centurions, representatives of Gentile overlords who show great faith. And the people of Israel hold with disdain these heretical half-breed Samaritans. But notice here, she runs into town after hearing the words of Jesus, saying, I think I found the Christ. Meanwhile, back in Israel, the leaders of Israel are asking for yet another sign. Jesus, one more sign. Show us again. Prove to us that you're the Messiah. Verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Something huge is going on. Something gigantic. A crowd of Samaritans is coming. And here are the disciples as they, as they so often are, completely clueless, wondering about food to eat. Where did Jesus get food from? Eat Jesus. But Jesus' food is doing the exciting work of God. Verse 34 Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do, not, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus here says, the kingdom is here. The real feast is the harvest, waiting since the fall, about to break out right now, right here in Samaria. So notice what's happening. We've got this crowd coming. It's interesting, isn't it? The crowd comes. They listen to this woman's words. I have to think that probably she had been lowly regarded even amongst her people, having had this situation where she's living with a man who's not her husband, but she comes and testifies, saying that she thinks she's found the Messiah, and the entire city comes out. Samaritans to this day for their religious ceremonies wear spike, sparkling white robes. They top their heads with white turbans. Here we are at noontime, and this crowd is coming, sparkling in their white robes. Behold, the fields are white to harvest, says Jesus to his disciples. And where? Right here, in Samaria. Going on to verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows Another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into the labor. The woman is transformed in an instant and becomes a reaper. Now, friends, we all sow and reap. Some of you put seed into the ground. That is, you sow the gospel into people's hearts. You tell them, and another reaps. Maybe some of you will be blessed to sow and reap from the harvest the only way to sow and reap, however, is to open your mouths, open your hands, open your lives. Don't be afraid, but preach and live the gospel. Friends, now is a great time. It's a time in the midst of fear and death and uncertainty. What's gonna happen on Monday morning? Is there gonna be a run on banks? Are we gonna go into a depression? I'll tell you what, there's fear and loathing up in Silicon Valley, and what a great time 
to open our mouths and to preach the gospel. We have the words of life. We have living water life. And notice what Jesus says. Not only do you have living water that you take in from Jesus, but because you've drunk from the font of the living water, you yourself become springs of living water. You are agents of grace and you bring life to the world by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? You know, we read through these stories, and they kind of just fly over our head, but you're reading about how in Israel, everybody's always coming and questioning Jesus. And then Jesus does amazing works in the book of John. He goes and heals, he casts out demons, he raises the dead, and yet they still will not believe. And yet on the testimony of Jesus' words, and now this woman going and speaking to the people of her town, multitudes believe. Already the gospel has broken out of Israel and many are believing. And I believe Jesus quite possibly did what he always does performing signs and preaching during those two days, but it's not mentioned. The signs aren't mentioned. The point is they hear and they believe. They hear and they believe. Living water has burst forth in Samaria and will provide fertile ground for the worldwide expansion of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts, where we read that the gospel is going to go forth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the world. And remember, you have drunk from and are fountains of living water. Fear not in the midst of these current upheavals. Your job is to live and to die well, and your eternal life is already guaranteed in Jesus. Central Texas needs to taste living water again. Let's make these dry hills bloom. Flash floods in the desert are no joke. The rain falls far upstream in what appears to be a perpetually waterless riverbed, but the parched ground has no ability to soak up the massive amount of water which rushes downstream in an increasing deluge that builds as other streams join it and push all the debris and garbage out of the way. Jesus is the epicenter of a flood of living water, which has been rushing across the world for the last 2,000 years. As this living water resurrects people, they themselves become springs of living water, which adds to the deluge, which in the power of Jesus cleanses the world of the debris and garbage of the fall. This morning in the Gospel of John, we've seen wells, water, and women, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son. Come into the world to live, to die, to rise again, to give us living water that we might be transformed into springs of living water. We confess to you that we have not done this so often in our lives, but we pray that even this day, you would make us again springs of living water.
For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.